Live and direct from Los Angeles, California, where it's about 50 degrees out here. And a little dreary outside, and they're shooting a movie out front. They have SUVs peeling around the corner. They have a massive crew out there looking out, so doing shooting, some uh, extras and stuff like that. When we say shooting, we mean uh, doing a movie, not shooting as in gunshots. So uh, if you hear some sirens in the back or screeching, you will know what's going on. People, it has been, what, about a week since we last spoke. I'm trying to be on the air a little more often. I get a lot of emails and people are asking me, hey, when are you going to be on? When, when are we going to hear from you next? You know, what's going on? For those out there in the world, uh, we're trying to get Omekongo online. I believe he's touring right now, so we're hoping that he can reach out to us from a remote, a remote source, uh, location. Uh, call number 646-595-2892, 646-595-2892. Today's word on the street is we're talking about Omekongo, Luhaka, Wadabenga. And for disclaimer, yes, he's my brother. So it's very interesting that uh, we're trying to have this kind of conversation because it's been said more often than not that our voices are so similar that people can tell we're related just by our voices. But um, ironically, out of about the 30 shows that I have done, I think it's about 20 shows, something like that. I, I don't think I've ever – we've never actually had an interview on air because he's always touring. He's here in Pennsylvania. He's over there in Miami. He's over there in Virginia. He's over there in Amsterdam. He's over there in South Africa. So I know he's on the road right now, so we're going to try to see if we can get him to uh, call in live and talk to us for a few minutes. In the interim, interim today's – is word on the street and for those that are new to the groove what word on the street is and again if you want to chat with us live you may do so and again our regular listener mr tran is on the chat line we may have to like you know drag him to the studio and interview him about uh the schwarzenegger fitness award that he won and uh was they had a ceremony where a large check that i tried to fit into my bag wouldn't fit but a large check was delivered to New Design Charter School, and that as a result of Mr. Tran's uh, physical education repertoire, I believe it's that was going on. I don't know the whole detail. All I know was because of his work, there was a big check donated. So there you go. So a round of applause for Mr. Tran out there. <sighs> now, people, let's get back to the groove here. Ome Congo, a.k.a. Young Maya. There's a reason why he had picked that. But one thing people keep asking about is they say, hey, what does he rhyme about? What does he say? What does he talk? We know you're talking about he's, a, he's an Urban Music Award winning musician. He's an actor, radio personality, member of the Grammy uh, Awards, uh, Grammy Music voting body. So, yes, when those uh, ballots go out, he's one of the members there also. He's done some uh, film work back on the East Coast in New York. He appeared in a series, Yama Africa. Yama, I think it's uh, Mama Africa, if I'm mispronouncing it correctly. Somebody do correct me. On top of that, he's toured all over the place. I know right now he's touring for uh, Raise Hope for Congo. But let me stop talking for a moment, and let me give you a little sample of his work here so you understand exactly uh, who we're talking because I know some of our new listeners, this guy you're talking about, you know, what does he do spoken word? Well, this is something from his mixtape that he did some time ago. Oh my Congo, 
bring it to me, and uh, why don't you welcome people to the Congo? Welcome to the Congo where the players play And politicians robbing like every day For that diamonds and gold, timber and oil Can't forget the codes and you're finding your cell phone and PlayStation Yo, it's a crazy situation But since y'all don't get it, let me give an explanation See, the Congo's so poor because it's so rich All the minerals and the whole world, they want it That's why you don't see it on the daily news Cause you'd be outraged if you saw the abuse Like one time talk like Geronimo Pratt, son In hopes that we can see some action Last year, it was only covered by Anderson Cooper. But I guess you have something else to do, bruh. The five nights it aired from 10 to midnight. Maybe if it was on Oprah, you'd have seen it ride. But old cover the Congo in 2005. Had Lisa Ling live on the scene, no lie. Said the violence here is the world's big secret. It was shown in broad day, but I guess you didn't peep it. Yeah, yeah, this is for Patrice Mumba, Dr. Dabingawa Saeed, Dr. Galilawa Kabongo. Anybody out there fighting for the Congo to be free, yo, let's go. Welcome to the Congo where the slayers slay And innocent folks dying like every day For all the jewels we be buying the USA son And families they don't stop grieving and mourning Welcome to the Congo where the slayers slay And innocent folks dying like every day For all the jewels we be buying the USA son And families they don't stop grieving and mourning See I've been talking about this since I was eight years old Before gay rolled diamonds from Sierra Leone First I took the academic route and wrote a paper Yo was like man that stuff's too deep so make it safer so I made it artistic and put it in a poem. Y'all was like, you ain't been on that jam, so go home. So I made it simple, as can be in a rap. I even went down south and caught the looter track. But for some of y'all, this is still too dense. Might as well be talking another tongue like French. Parce que tout le monde sait, je parle la vérité. Je veux tout le monde liberté pour Congolais. I say this in hopes that y'all stand up and act. Cause if you silent on the Sudan and the Congo Jack, when they come and break your women, who gon' have your back? So welcome to the Congo, here's your passport back. With your help, I know we'll get free someday. Congo for the Congolese to the moon VA. Yeah, man, you know what I'm saying? We gotta get out there and fight for the Congo. You ain't gotta be Congolese, you ain't gotta be black. Anybody around the world, you gotta stand up and act, man. Congolese are human beings too. If you ain't seen on the news, don't mean you ain't got nothing to do. Welcome to the Congo where the slayers slay And innocent folks dying like every day For all the jewelry we buy in the USA son And families they don't stop grieving and mourning Welcome to the Congo where the slayers slay And innocent folks dying like every day For all the jewelry we buy in the USA son And families they don't stop grieving and mourning Ah, welcome to the Congo, what a slay, a slay. I might use that. Actually, we did use that when we did it from uh, Once uh, Once Upon a Time in the Congo, a movie that I've written and and currently. And I get a lot of emails, people asking when it's going to come out. But, you know, we have two more scenes. We have to shoot a massacre scene. You know, um, one thing is I think a lot of people don't know is that so much work. Well, someone, let me come back to you. Let me come back a little, uh, backwards a little bit here. We uh, we had a uh, we shot some time ago about a month and a half ago where I teach at out here in Los Angeles, and it was very interesting that uh, we were able. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We might have our man here. Hold on for one second. Uh, Joella, can you switch that line there? We ain't talking to nobody. This might be it from the 202, or it might be uh, President Barack Obama, or it might be Michelle Obama. Wondering why we never call her out. You know, give her like some love on the show. Let's see if we can get this call in here from the 202 area code. So bear with me as we switch lines here, people. Mr. 202, who would this be? This uh, would be that that guy, the, that poet guy. This will be your guest today, this evening. Oh, oh. getting cocky, Lex? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Coming to your place of business and calling you out. <laughs> Did you forget how I became the boss of Boston? That is for the bad man. <laughs> because anyone that got in my way is no longer around. You know, we have PG-13 show. Right, right. <laughs> how you doing, sir? How you doing? I am great. How are you doing? I can't complain. Thanks. And now exactly what state or country are you located in right now, sir? Today I'm in D.C. Oh, Tomorrow God. will be Michigan, and Wednesday will be Syracuse, and 
Friday will be Florida. But right, right now, now DC. Okay, you're in DC. You got some shows coming up, and also let's let's start with a little of your background. You know, we already talked about you being a, a voting member of the Grammy Awards. Is that true, sir? Yes, sir. All yes, right. So I'm when I release my wow. Much love, much love. And I want to come back to that because also you've produced uh, six CDs, correct? Yes, six CDs, four books. Mm-hmm. Four books. And one of them, uh, the latest one I believe is uh, Grow Towards Your Greatness. Yes, sir. Ten Steps to Living Your and, Best Life. And you have the introduction by the world-renowned Les Brown. Yes, indeed. Very proud of you to hear that. Let me ask this question. Let me ask this question. You know, one thing I've noticed is that you've not only motivated people through your words, you've not only crossed the culture lines or the cultural barriers that make your words, but I noticed uh, when we did some research on your videos and your presentations that you're very empowering and speak to the people in reference to being an outsider while still being an insider. But what has really stood out when people hear your words of motivation, of encouragement, and of edification. What really has really stood out in your mind? Well, how universal the, the, the message is that, that I share. You know, when I first got involved in this work, a lot of my stuff was, was, was black-powered, Afrocentric, um, and, you know, to a degree, obviously, there's still some of that there. But as I got older and had more experiences, you know, I started to say things and, and share work that applied to, to many different types of people, and mm-hmm. that's the one thing that's been the, the the most impressive is the fact that I can be in a group of, you know, seventy year old uh, women or you know group of twenty five fifteen year old black males um, in my neighborhood, and you know the message, the thing that they're getting uh, is all the same. You know, at the end of the day. People want to feel good about themselves. At the end of the day, people want to feel like they have the ability to, to do something great with their lives. And, you know, with my words, I, I help them make that happen. Question. On your book there, you're talking about with your words. Now, it's not like you do poetry or spoken word that is roses are red, virus are blue. You do spoken word that really touches people in their spirit. I remember I want to speak more on the advocacy that you do for Congo and what have you in the second part of the show because we only have you for an hour today. But I want to at least creep into there just a little bit. I remember when you had uh, the spoken word in Los Angeles some time ago. Uh, can you tell us about that event? I believe it was John Pendergrass with Race Hope. Can we touch on that, that experience was for you? Because I remember you were speaking to uh, Young Hollywood. Yeah. And tell us, tell us about that experience, how that was for you that night. Uh, it, was, it was great. You know, I was, I was out there, you know, doing some work with Les, as I've done um, over the last couple of years. Les Brown has been a mentor to me for a while. And while I was out there, I had an opportunity to work, um, to speak at an event called Race Hope for Congo. And basically the goal, it was put on by a great actor by the name of Ken Bowman, who does The Secret Life of the American Teenager, which is an ABC television show. And he basically was learned about the Congo maybe three years ago or so at a summer camp program and basically wanted to teach all of his friends in Hollywood about what was going on and how our electronics and resources were supporting him. So the Enough Project, I've been working with them on several projects over the last couple of years. I've over the last year or so, and they knew that mm-hmm. I was going to be out there. And so they said, you know, could you go out there and share some of your work? And I did. And there were, mm-hmm. sure enough, it was young Hollywood teenagers and guys who seemed like they were 10 years old, and they were all coming out there just to learn, share, <laughs> and contribute their funds mm-hmm. uh, to the cause. And then they, they did just that. Uh, now, because, you know, these people had never heard of me, as far as I know, and I hadn't heard of most of them. But here, mm-hmm. we, there, here we all were there for the same reason, for the same cause. And, you know, a lot of people say that these Hollywood guys don't care, and it's just not the truth, and I've been in touch with several of them since that event. And that has led to why I understand it was a press release that came out some time ago that Ray's Hope for Congo has an album coming out. Could you speak, could you speak on that? Yes, yes, because we're going to need everybody to support that album. It's coming out sometime in June, and it's called Ray's Hope for Congo, and many artists have contributed tracks for, uh, to this. Cheryl Crow is one of the artists who is going to appear on this album, Nora Jones, Oza Motley, 
Damian Rice, Most Deaf, Michelle Day Gaochello, and Angelique mm. Show, just to name a few, are going to be on this album. And a little old guy who's on the phone with you right now is also going to be on the album, so I'm obviously excited about that. <laughs> but we're going to need all the support we can with that because the funds from there are going to go towards the Race Hope for Congo campaign to help with the programming and other projects that Enough Project is involved in um, um, in the Congo. Mm-hmm. Now, about the album, can you ready to say what the track will be that you've uh, contributed to the album, or is that going to be a surprise? Uh, no, the track is called Our Race Hope for Congo, and I wrote it specifically for for this album. Is it possible you can give like a little sample now, or you want to surprise people when it comes out, like a little a little taste of what's, what's to come? Well, I thought we had a, a deal that I would get a million dollars for any home I shared during well, this time. Well, 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 you know, you know, that was before the recession hit. You know, oh, I had you know, oh. get rid of my, yeah, you know, I had to get rid of my, and start taking a bus to school, and you know, couldn't do my drive, and I had to get the bucket okay. and soap out. So, all right, all right, all right, gotcha, gotcha. You have to, you have to understand. We, you know, our operation is small, but there's more expansion. <laughs> you got a lot of expansion, right? No doubt. Well, here it goes. This is called our Race Hope for Congo, and it will appear on the album entitled Race Hope for Congo. The world's richest country, now the poorest. A chorus of women's cries across a corrupted country in demise. International lies hide the truth of our turmoil. Raping our country of our women, Tuxton, Colton, and Gold. Young girls now a commodity. It's no longer an oddity. Child soldiers watching bullets and not birds fly over their sky. So we can sit pretty with our PlayStations, laptops, and iPhones. I roam alone across Africa's first world war starving a country, feeding the globe. Little babies dying so we can have a cell phone and warm home, an Xbox, a TV, a computer, a flat screen, flatlining the dreams of millions of Congolese, never quite able to control their destiny. Mineral gifts turned to curses, body bags with no hearses, babies bouncing from the womb to the tomb in a matter of minutes. But in a minute, you can decide to help turn this tide. Raise your voice for the people. Raise hope for the Congo. Turn your cell phone into a microphone and speak knowledge to your college. Tell these computer companies that we need conflict-free products. Realize you're a fool if you don't check the trail of those jewels. You see, diamonds and gold be the fuel to this fire. How can gold become a cancer? I'm searching for an answer. In a land where diamonds are not a girl's best friend. But together, working with the Congolese, we can change this direction. If you all decide to raise your conscience and each one teach one, reach one in your grasp, make an army of change, an army of conscious consumers and not soldiers for the same most sympathetic solutions to political and profitable prostitution, the true resolution is empowering our women. The center of our land must be made whole once again. The backbone of our nation must be realigned. When our women can stand proudly, our country will once again have its spine, the pride of our future lies in our young girls. The heart of our future lies in our young boys. Congress' future is in all of our hands if we just understand that we're all in this together. So let's raise hope and take a stand for our land. Woo! My goodness. That should be a single. <laughs> well, there'll be some you know, accompaniment to it, so. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I really appreciate you sharing that because I know a lot of artists are very reluctant to uh, give a sneak peek to anything they have that's coming up. But sometimes, you know, I notice that with your spoken word, doing our research beyond what I know, but doing more research and looking at other spoken word artists that are now in the advocacy market, not the market, the advocacy arena. It, when you do, uh, when you do, oh, not, first off, is it, is it poetry? Is it poetry or which one is the, the, uh, the correct uh, name or style. I mean, you know, they can call people call whatever they want. You know, spoken word poetry, poetry, hip hop, whatever. It doesn't matter to me as long as folks get the message. <laughs> Tell me something now. You're again. We've talked about you've done. You produced six CDs, correct? Yes. Is if in the process, what was that moment when you said to yourself that you know I have something to say? I know that people want to hear it, and I'm not going to wait for someone to come produce it for me. Was that that moment that crystallized for you, or what was that situation? Well, as it relates to, to producing it, you know, I, I, for, for a young age, I've always felt like I had something that I needed to say. But in terms of producing it, you know, I went through the route. You know, I, I tried to contact, you know, publishers and, and CD producers and everything like that. But 
people were unresponsive. They would either say we don't publish poets or they would just not respond at all because, understandably so, they're getting volumes and volumes of, uh, of books and uh, proposals a week. So mm-hmm. that, that, that was one of the problems that I, I had. And the other thing that pressed me to move faster was that I wanted to read at Barnes & Nobles. At that time, I had two CDs. But they're like, well, this is a bookstore, and we publish people with, we let people with books speak here. I said, but I got CDs. Mm. They said, yeah, but you don't have books. Get it, Barnes & Noble. So I was like, oh, right. So mm. that was my also incentive. I was one of those guys, I don't like to lose anything. So I said, well, I'm going to read there. So you know, I quit my job, started my publishing company, and nine months later I had my first book and read there two or three times after that just because I just didn't want to wait for anybody. I remember Haile Garima, the creator of Sankofa, saying, you know, when he dies, he doesn't want his kids to have to go pay other people to use his work. And I definitely don't want to do that. I think anybody who's going to be writing for the rest of their life should pursue pursuing and owning their own work. It works for Ray hmm. Charles. Hmm. Ray Charles who said, can I own the publishing rights? And I believe that the master is the correct. Yeah. And I echo made that deal his estate where I don't think a lot of people know that his estate owns the master's. You know, I want to tell me something about this because you said you had left your job to embrace this full time, your advocacy and sharing your account with the world. What allowed you to cross that fear that so many people have when they want to leave their jobs or what or an environment that they do not want to be a part of anymore to actually go live their dreams? What what helped you do that, and how do you translate that when you speak to the people um, in reference to think and grow into your destiny and move forward? Could you share? Could you spotlight that for us? Well, I think most people know what it's like to have a job that they hate, and that's one of the things I speak to people about is is that feeling people get, convincing people that these problems that you're having at work, they're not problems, they're signs. They're signs that you're supposed to be doing something else. I think it's amazing that 80% of people go to jobs that they hate and then get mad when they get fired. So I I got tired of, you know, realizing that I was never going to be promoted in a position that was going to be, favorable to me or my family, I realized that I learned that they were also uh, stiffing me of some of money that I was supposed to be getting on the contract that I signed that I wasn't aware about, thousands of dollars. And then I started getting debilitating headaches, and I've never had debilitating headaches that caused me to miss work ever. I don't have a history of migraines or anything. And, you know, at that point, even my wife was like, it was time to go. And so basically, mm-hmm. it's all about whether people want to decide to pursue unknown hell, um, heavens as opposed to living known hell. And that was basically what it came down to. I was like, I know what I don't like. I know what I don't want. I know what doesn't work for me. I know what makes me sick. And it's being in this toxic environment. And when I look back at my life, and just looking back at any job I had, I never brought pictures there. You know, I never brought stuff. Because, you know, when you put pictures up of your family and all that type of stuff, that kind of puts a permanence there. And I just, you know, even my, my uh, you know, my sister Mwadi came down to visit me once, and she just looked around the office for like five minutes and was like, you're not going to be here long. And it's just <laughs> how, how I've always been. And so that was the sign. And then also, you know, just surrounding yourself with people who are supportive and who will support your vision to try something else. The problem mm-hmm. is you think about it as like a dog. You know, I remember a story uh, Les told me once about a dog who was, sitting on a, on, a, on a porch and moaning and howling. And people say, what's wrong with that dog? And they said, he's sitting on a nail. And they said, well, why doesn't he get up? And they said, well, the nail doesn't hurt bad enough. And that's the problem. You know, it's like people are just, they're working hard enough to not get fired and they're getting paid enough just to not quit. Mm. And I just got tired mm. of that just get by mentality. I just got tired of it. And I said, I got to, this there has to be something more. I don't know what it is. But it was almost like Malcolm leading a plantation. You know, any place is better than here, basically. And mm-hmm. I, I went for it, and I'm, I'm glad that I did, and I wish more people would. And you spoke lovingly as we continue. You spoke that uh, you had words from your wife. Could you introduce her to the, uh, to the world? And uh, I believe you have two lovely children back there also. Yeah, 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 yeah. Her name is, is Kendra. We've been together going on, I guess it would be 17 years now. We've been together since the junior prom, 1994. Next year will be 17 years. Um, you know, mm. married since 2003 and have two kids, uh, both under four, one of whom is with me right now, while the other one is downstairs. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, she's she's been great. You know, she's been extremely supportive. I definitely would not be 
where I am without her support. And that's one of the things I talk about and grow is getting in my book, Grow Towards Your Greatness. And people can check mm-hmm. it out at growtowardsyourgreatness.com. It's getting rid of mm-hmm. people who aren't helping you grow, who aren't helping you advance. Dennis Kimbrell said, mm-hmm. if you're the smartest person in your group, you've got to find a new group. You know, we get so mm-hmm. caught up in the fact of, oh, I'm smarter than the person next to me. I got the biggest house to my friends. I got the, I got the college degree. I got the higher-paying job. But you, there's no growth there in just being better than the people who are around you. You make within mm-hmm. $5,000 of the people you associate with. So that's why people who make a million dollars a year don't hang with people who make $30,000 a year. So, you know, mm-hmm. I started challenging myself. You know, let's make, you know, thousands of dollars an hour. I want to get there. That wasn't going to happen if I was hanging with people who are making the same amount as me or less right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you said something. That... Go ahead. No, understand. No, you say as as in less than you. Yeah, as in making less than me, as opposed to less brown. And there was a state. There was a phrase you said. I believe you said that Jay Z said about helping people, but if you but you can't do it if you're poor. Yeah, moment of clarity. You know, Jay Z said, you know, I can't help his his song, moment of clarity. Said I can't help the poor if I'm one of them. So I got rich and gave back. So for me, that's the win win. And you know. Yeah, the win. Go ahead, my friend. No, I'm saying, you know, and that's basically what it came down to. And I, I thought about it as it relates to, you know, Hurricane Katrina, for example. At the end of the day, it's um, are you going to be the person who's who saved or are you going to be the person who's helping save people? You know, I, I felt like I wanted to build something up for my family and do something that would be able to carry on as opposed to just going through every day with that J-O-B, which uh, let's call the journey of the broke. <laughs> That's what, going to your acronyms here. Here towards your greatness. I'm titles from the. Uh, you also have a CD version, version of your book, and I'm gonna read off some titles here, and then I ask you a question regarding title number fifteen. You have introduction by. You have the introduction by. Great achievement. You have the power. Now people out there listening live and what have you. Uh, there is actually you can go to omekongo.com. Am I saying that correct, sir? Yes, sir. Yeah, com. Uh, you want to spell it for them, sir, in your own lyrical way? Oh, yeah. You know, O, M as in magnificent, E, K as in king, O, N as in never give up, G as in great, O, Omekongo.com. And the titles you have here in your book are, again, the introductions by Les Brown, uh, The Power of Positive Vision, Check Your Attitude, Raising Successful Children, Look Up on Your Life, Going the Extra Mile, people, these are the chapters within the book. Going the Extra Mile, Food for Thought, Managing Your Anger, The Power of Forgiveness, Keep Your Enemies Far, Far Away, Love versus Affirmation, Be the Change You Seek, A New Year, A New You, There Can Only Be One You, and the last one you have spoken of when, there's when, live speech in Boston, Massachusetts. And in Boston, Massachusetts, I believe once or twice a year you perform at the origination uh, event that takes place there? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's just as the Origination Cultural Arts Center, and they have their dance performances, and every year I got, try to go back at least two or three times and share some spoken word or some words of motivation, and you know, that's pretty much where, where I got my start at as a young person. That organization being over 10 years old, when they used to they have hundreds of students now, when they used to have six, you know, six students in the basement of a church, I was speaking to them when I was in high school, and I've just been trying to grow ever since. Mm. Now, what we're going to do here, we're going to take our little commercial break, and then we're going to come back, and I want to talk more of your traveling right now as a spokesperson with Race Hope for Congo, and I want to talk about, I want to play a performance, and this, you know, they always have those moments where you see something you've done some time ago, and I'd like to play an audio track from one of your performances overseas, just thoughts when we come back from this commercial. People, as spoken word artist, Grammy voting member, platinum speaker with Les Brown, international motivator, speaker, world-renowned humanitarian, great husband, great friend, and a great brother, Ome Congo, the man, the myth, the legend. I don't know where he is, but he's on the phone with us. So, people, we will take a commercial break here, and we'll be right back. You rockin' loud, but you ain't saying nothing. I play my enemies like a game of death. Playing Mr. Big, I'm gonna make it to sucker. Soldier, left, right, left, right. It's time I settle the score. 
Settle the score. Rip it to the rock. Rum to the ripple. Single. But this time's I come and ripple. Blah, blah. With the heat into your head, now you dead. Why left don't give a all if you're dead. Let me attack like a black hat. You in the wrong neighborhood. Check the map. You gotta go for backup to do what you gotta do. So you'll be back with Bram C. You spray the Indian crew's Mapuhi. He put poison in my skin, kill the toe. But I'll be back with Synergy. I'm on some new techniques. Drunk in bamboo. A who? I'm taking off. Who's what? Competition simulation for the rap man. Losers. Check the shooters as I'm sucking on your girl hooters. Don't play macho cause you got the gun so. Cause if you gotta reload. I love Wyclef, but this is Ome Congo's part. So, Joella, let's come back to my man on the microphone because you know he's coming from the other side. Ome Congo, I have a question for you. I have yeah. a question. I, you, know, I, you know, I love Wyclef. Much love. What he's doing for the people down there. Love doing support back there in Washington, D.C. I believe you were doing an event at, is it called Bus Boys and Poets? Am I, mis- am I pronouncing that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, here's the Go ahead, sir. Go ahead, no, sir. Go ahead, go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Thank you there. Uh, you know, again, you're world renowned. You started your you started way back in the day. Well, way back in the day, relative to uh, you know, my age. Well, your age actually. <laughs> but the thing is, you were talking about. Um, I had mentioned earlier before. Conquered the fear of the unknown by going to a heaven you didn't know instead of saying what the hell you did know. And here it is. at the building. Could you speak on that? You uh, broke up a little bit. Decide to uh, go out into the unknown and conquer your fear uh, to embrace what you. How did I decide to do that? Your spirit. Next week. Yeah, you're breaking up entirely. I'm having trouble hearing you. At a, so what we can do is we can switch lines. Can you hear me now, sir? Yeah, I can hear you now. All right. So next week I was talking that uh, you've come this far on your journey, and your journey continues next week by speaking at President Bill Clinton's event. You're facilitating a workshop. Can you speak on that? Yeah, uh, Bill Clinton, President Clinton has the uh, Clinton Global Initiative University uh, conference. He has it every year, and it basically brings college students together from across the country and I think internationally as well, and they go through sessions on international development, poverty, child trafficking. They'll have guests like Usher and Sway and Paul Farmer and, you know, many other people along the morning and, of course, President himself. And I'll be facilitating uh, some of the education workshops. So after they come to the sessions, many of the students will have breakout sessions on their particular topic, and I'll be down there facilitating the ones on, on education. And yeah, what is what is your view on election these days? From my view on what? Uh, we're having the same problems again. Mine's here. All right, how's that sound, sir? Uh, that sounds fine. All right, we have a couple of lines here that we can play around with. You know, you're speaking on education. What is your view on the state of education these days? And I want to use that as a tie-in to Congo, which will be my next question. I, mean, I think the state of education, you know, particularly in the United States, is in a shambles. I mean, our young people don't see education as a first option. Nowadays, you know, it used to be the first option. Now it's the, the last option. If I don't make it to the MBA, I'll go back to school. If I don't make it to get that record deal, I'll go back to school. If I don't do, a, you know, such and such, I'll, I'll just... I'll go back to school. And so, and then the educational system itself, particularly in America, I mean, we speak so much about being the greatest country and everything like that, but we're lacking behind some, some developing countries and some of our educational indicators. So our kids nowadays do not see education as a viable means um, to success, and our kids and our teachers are not getting the support that they need either. So that, that's a serious problem. 
and you know internationally it's it's obviously problematic not only in just war torn countries but in many countries just access to education is is just is just hard and then when you get access to it the question becomes what type of education are you really getting um so it's very problematic problematic and i want to use that as a lead in we still have our surprise audio for you but i want to lead it into congo you know, well, both you know, both in, you know, both Congolese. We know the culture. We know the ways of life. You know, just by how we were raised by our parents. With so much negativity right now being thrown at Congo and the Congolese, the women, the soldiers, how are you able to maintain such a positive voice of advocacy when you speak on the Congo? You're not talking about. You don't blame the West. You don't blame. You don't blame with such negativity. You weave in what's going on into your spoken word but yet still touch people who have not heard of the Congo. How have you been able to do that in your travels lately? Well, one of the things that I, I try to do is I try to spend at least the majority of my speeches in front of young people, college students, high school students, because they're just so much more optimistic about what they can do. When you get in the presence of many adults, particularly those of us who have been involved in Congo, you know, we all just pretty much start to sound the same. Everybody has their war stories about this person, and, you know, and they came back and the whole family was dead, or this person, you know, died of AIDS, you know, and left their orphans and this and that. And, you know, we all have those stories and experiences, and I think that if we just continually surround ourselves with each other, it gets, you know, quite incestuous and, you know, and, and just depressing, you know, and you just feel like it's, it's, a, it's a hopeless situation. But when I engage these young people, and share my work and share my performances, but also leave them with action steps on what they can do right then before they even leave the room. Um, that that's what keeps me motivated. You know, I'm speaking on the Congo in in, in Michigan tomorrow at 8 p.m. in Syracuse at 5 p.m. on Wednesday. And again, each time it's just a new group of people, and they 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 get angry, they get frustrated, but they leave motivated to try to make something happen. And that's what really helps keep me positive. And lastly, I think it's also important for us who are out there fighting to remember that we're never going to win if we just keep talking, if we just pretty much declare a war on war. You know, like Mother Teresa said, I never go to an a anti-war rally. I only go to a pro-peace rally. We just have, we have to put our energy towards what we're for as opposed to what we're against. And if we just continually work as a force for peace, our will is going to be able to overcome the negativity that's there. So that's how I don't get caught up in it. Mm-hmm. What is your vision? Well, let's come back this way. You're speaking tomorrow, and you're, speak, you're speaking tomorrow in Michigan, you had said, sir? At Arbor, Michigan, at the Michigan League at 8 p.m. Now, question, is there something, you said they leave, they leave angry, they leave upset, they leave motivated with passion. Is there something that you've noticed that seems to be a common thread that each audience, though they may very varied in culture or what have you, that they were a word, a phrase, a poem? Is there something that seems to uh, carry through each uh, appearance that you make that you can speak on, if you just, notice that? Just, yeah, just the fact that people just, they just don't know. I mean, people, you know, one of the more impressionable lines I've left with people is that the U.S. media can only handle one African conflict a decade. So in the mm-hmm. 80s, it was Ethiopia. In the 90s, it was Rwanda. And now it's Sudan. And the fact that people try to look at Congo as just another African fighting Africans type thing. But once people realize that their their iPhones and iPads and laptops and Xboxes and their electronic equipment are helping fuel this war and helping it continue, that's when the frustration and motivation comes in because people literally did not know about it. And when I say things like, people, I just believe people shouldn't have to die for us to have a phone, that resonates with people. You know, and that's really a situation. It's interesting. With uh, you, I, I remember at the race hope function that you uh, you had performed out here sometime in Angeles, and I've seen some of your videos online. And people, if you're not able to see Omicron in person, always go to YouTube, go to his website. He has great footage of his appearances. What you know, in different uh, mediums, spoken word, motivational, and what have you. The one thing that's always been impressed is that you don't come up there and just almost. Uh, bore them to sleep. Well, let's put it like this. Let's give, let me give an example of your performance, we'll say in an overseas area, and give me your thoughts on what you remember of that night, and that will lead into our next question. Bear with me, sir. I know you're a little jet lag out there from traveling all over the place. Let's yeah, see here. You. Let's see if uh, you can uh, smile back on this fondly, sir. 
Uh, we're going to end this portion on the note of freedom. Ten years of democracy. It's been on the note of freedom. Travel to South Africa, 
particularly say on this trip here, what, what really stood out for you when you landed that you felt or you saw or you smelled in the air? What was it? Uh, just the love for the arts, the appreciation for the arts. I've, I haven't been in a country that has the same type of appreciation for for all types of arts, or, you know, I can't know if I can say all, but for many different types of arts. You know, here, obviously, it's more music and sports for the most part, and other ones kind of come and go, but, you know, spoken word artists there, you know, doing projects and getting contracted by the government to do things, getting contracted to go across the whole continent to do work and go into Europe and things. I didn't see anything like that um, here, and if it does, it's just, I just don't know about it. But just the energy and the spirit, particularly of the young people, just so resilient in the, in the history. I mean, you can't even walk out of the airport without getting smacked in the face by the, the cultural richness of, of the country. Is there, when people find you travel to South, well, you travel all around the world. Uh, name a few places you've traveled to for the audience. Uh, yeah, South Africa, Congo, Tanzania, Holland, France, UK, Cuba, Canada, uh Senegal, Ghana, uh, Zimbabwe, those are some of the places that I've been to. Mm-hmm. You went to Canada. You recently were at an event that was related to Congo in Toronto, am I correct? Yes, at York University. Uh, the event was entitled How Much You Know About the Congo, and it was it was cool because all of the presenters that day were, were Congolese, and I had never seen that at a, a mm. Congolese event before. You know, sometimes you can go to these places and there'll be no Congolese on the panel talking, mm. talking about the Congo, and there were all Congolese and there were no politicians, you know. It was just uh, all day, <laughs> just people sharing their work and, you know, speaking and trying to get people excited. And I, I felt honored to be part of that. How was how now interested for the artist doesn't understand uh, the politicians or intellectuals? Could you explain to them uh, in your own way the difference when you said no politicians? Can you touch on that? Well, yeah. I mean, you go to some of these events and you have the people involved in politics and they're just, given their, their presidential platform, you know, no real care or interest in speaking to the people. The speeches are usually boring, again, you know, just dealing with talking points, and you get into a situation where everybody pretty much ends up saying the same thing. Everybody's got to give a history. Everybody's got to, you know, throw out the keywords and, you know, the $10 billion taken by the Swedish banks, Mamabutu, and the, this and that, and everybody just ends up sounding the same, and it gets very, very boring very quickly. And... So that uh, that was that was that was good. That was good to see, good to hear. You know, so everybody who got up there and spoke had a particular topic that we had to mm-hmm. speak about. Whether it was one guy whose videos helped bring uh, Jean Piemba, you know, and his actions to to the forefront, or you know, me doing mm-hmm. my work and other people talking about their mm-hmm. organizations and activism. It was it was great. Mm-hmm. Do you think seeing that is that a microcosm of the existing advocacy? in the world when it relates to Congo, or do you, is part of your vision to see more advocacy united like that for Congo? Yeah, I definitely want to see, you know, more unification. I mean, Congo is like any other struggle right now. You know, egos get involved, and people want all the credit, and people want to be martyrs for it, and people want to, you know, say they're the ones who led the change. And, you know, my belief is like, just like, as I do with my business, you know, there's enough to go mm-hmm. around. There's enough people to inspire. There's enough people to speak about it. But I generally don't really even do a lot of shows, uh, performances with other individuals, particularly for that reason, because just people's egos just get in the way. I mean, Dr. King, you know, there's I Have a Dream speech. He was like one of the last speakers of the day because the other speakers didn't want him to go before them, you know, and like <laughs> the cameras were leaving when he started speaking, and, you know, who do we remember really? from there? So, yeah, that's what I heard, and, you know, I just, there's just so many egos involved that it just gets ridiculous, and everybody wants to cut out their share, and I just don't have time for that. So I don't spend a lot of time in meetings. I don't spend a lot of time talking to people who have already feel the exact same way, and I don't spend a lot of time talking to people who are trying to posture. Most of the shows I do right now, speaking on the Congo, are by myself. Mm-hmm. And those, and you very impactful. Again, I, I always remember that race, Hope, and I know you have the historical knowledge from my mother, and I know you have the, the, the active, the, you know, the advocacy spirit from my father also. How has that helped you? Well, I'll, I'll make it this way. A lot of people seem to be, as I do film out here, I, well, you know, we're from the same school, but a lot of people seem to speak of Congo 
and then going backwards in history, as you just alluded to, yet when you do your work on stage or when you speak or when you write or what have you, you speak of Congo right now going forward. How has the foundation of the history of the culture and the love for the culture of the DRC or Zaiwa, Zaire, how has that helped you that we've gotten from our parents and what you do now in moving forward? Well, you know, I connect myself to it as part of a, a greater continuum. You know, so many people speak about the Congo and they speak about it as if its history started in 1996, 97, because, you know, they basically <clears throat> – got the briefing points, the talking points, and this is what you say, and this is what you present, and this is what happened in 2001, and, you know, assassination of Lumumba, you know, it's almost like just reading an encyclopedia, but I, I'm connected, you know, through our parents, I'm connected to a deeper history and meaning of the Congo, so when I speak, you know, I speak about it as a continuation of of, of the greatness that has existed in that country over over centuries. And so I speak much of the Congo in the now as opposed to in, in the past, and I find it to be more effective. You know, a lot of people talk about what's happening in the Congo and never mention anything about Congolese on the ground in Congo doing work there, for example, uh, and I mean, or, or Congolese men who are doing work there. And I make it a point to do that because, you know, we just get so caught up in these these labels, you know, particularly when the West gets involved in these issues you know, so everything becomes about the woman. You know, everything becomes about the children. And, of course, we know about the travesties that are taking place against women. There's no question. But when we do it, you know, particularly with these nonprofit organizations, there's almost a nonprofit neocolonialization of the mind that takes place as it relates to the Congo, and I have issues with that. I, you know, it was interesting because when we did our show a couple weeks ago, one of uh, the uh, speakers, uh, our panelists touched on that, how the NGOs, are the new mercenaries in Congo, how they're not, you know, they're there for themselves and how they're creating a paradigm of people going from being self-sufficient to being dependent on them. And you've spoken on that when you, did your, when you uh, visited Congo several years back and you wrote on that. Could you elaborate on that trip and how that ties into what's going on today? Yeah, I was I'm working in, in refugee camps there in uh, 2002, and I was there for about two months, and that really just solidified. You know, this was before Congo got what some people would refer to as sexy, uh, before people started to really jump on it and take an interest in it. You know, as I say, you know, the Congo's been the family business. It's like we just, for over 100 years, we've been speaking and fighting about it in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And, you know, working in the refugee camps, I've just seen a lot of stuff firsthand, and I left there. You know, I've seen people die. I met a cousin, you know, one of our cousins who died the same day I met him from a cold because yeah. in Western countries you can't get access to medicine. I mean, you know, I drove people to hospitals from the refugee camps who I knew were just going to die. Uh, you know, you go to mm -hmm. these camps and bodies are inflating because they haven't been embalmed properly. And, you know, then to see the stuff that takes place outside of the camps in, in the regular parts of the country that have been affected by war, going to post offices and mailbags filled just in all these rooms across the mail the post office because mail from around the world is not getting delivered, doctors not being paid, teachers not being paid. And I, I left there telling their you know, the refugees that I'm gonna be committed to sharing your story with the world. And that's what I've been focused on doing ever since. Is there a message we have about six minutes left and I know you have to get ready for your appearance tomorrow. Is there a message or some words you'd like to share with the listening audience regarding to the Congo, your spoken word, your advocacy, your music. Is there anything that's on your mind, you know, as you say, free your mind publishing? Well, uh, talking about if you have a publishing company, you publish another book by uh, Mwadi. Uh, what's the name of her book for the audience? Oh, that's called Put Your Shoes On, a step-by-step -step guide for youth entering the workforce. And basically it's designed mm -hmm. for teenagers who don't know anything about writing a resume or getting a job interview or dressing up for a job interview and, you know, things like you shouldn't wear a do-rag to an interview, stuff that was common sense for any <laughs> of us growing up that surprisingly is just not common sense for many of our, our, our youth now. So that's what the book is geared towards. Mm, do-rag or, you know, having for shizzle at hotmail.com on your resume. So yeah. I can see that you said something uh, some time ago in reference to the fear of uh, – of heaven versus the uh, no, we're talking about. You had mentioned not taking pictures to work, and it reminded me of something Harrison Ford said, the great actor from you know Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, uh, uh, those great movies. He mentioned that he was a carpenter, and someone asked him why he didn't want to work at a job in the office. He says, 
to be at a job 20, 30 years where your coworkers know your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, that's not the life for me. I have a destiny and a future I need to embrace, and I'd rather do my carpentry than to be enslaved like that. So I guess they say great minds think alike, but I guess you're mm. in that camp, sir. Of course, you get from your older brother, but you don't want to say anything there. <laughs> Is there anything in our remaining minutes here that you'd like to share with the audience, something you'd like to speak on, you haven't had a, we didn't get a chance to touch on, anything that's on your mind, free your mind, sir? Well, just for people to remember that, you know, the Congolese are people too. You know, we're having a real struggle, a real crisis, and we could use all the assistance that we can in getting, you know, supporting the legislation that's out there, H.R. 4128, to get people to speak about the conflict minerals and where they're coming from, having these companies trace the source. I believe that people should be ashamed to die until they've made an attempt to change humanity in some way, shape, or form, small or large. And I believe that this can be that way for many people to get involved and help stop this crisis and conflict in the Congo right now. And, sir, once again, y'all, your intro is always, uh, how we say, uh, unique. Your, en- your exit is unique and motivating and inspirational. You can go on YouTube. You can go to his website, com. You can see his work. If someone wants to have their book published or what have you or help meet up with a CD, are, are you available to converse with them via email or what have you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people can get in touch with me through the website at omnicongo.com or growtowardsyourgreatness.com. Um, all of those places, you know, the emails and phone numbers are um, very uh, easy to reach. may take a couple of day or two to get in touch with people because I'm always on the road, but <laughs> I, I am able to – I am accessible. All right, sir. And on that note, I just thank you for joining us today. Please give my love to my little sister and my little nieces back there. I can hear them in the background. And, no you know, hey, I love you. I love you deeply. I'm so proud of you. And, you know, again, it's about the tradition that we're carrying on. So thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. Love you too, bro. Stay up. All right. <laughs> you too, man. Later on. All right. Peace. All right, people, that was on the Kong. We have three minutes left. I want to say this is Sayaki Kesha Dabinga coming live from Los Angeles. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Reach out to him. Check him out. You know, he's doing what he does. He's following the spirit, not following an agenda. So let's close this out with a few words to the next generation of children. I want to have this be on – I want to dedicate this to the fathers who have, who are whose lives are in jeopardy or who have lost their lives and were not able to see their children of their pregnant wife uh, enter this world. People, Saiki Kesedavinga, word on the street, much love, I'm gone. Tupac, talk to me as we go out. Yeah.